Hi, you're about to listen to Dirty Laughs Podcast. When life doesn't give you the success you planned, grab a microphone and your three best friends and put on a show anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, welcome back to Dirty Laughs Podcast. We should probably first start by saying we are missing one person, but we've gained two people. (laughs) Exactly. So Harriet is off living the high life because she's rehearsing for a music video that she's going to be in. So she is not able to make it. But we are joined by two guests. First of all, we are welcoming back a returning guest who feels like it wasn't that long ago, but it probably was like nearly a year ago at this point, did come on the podcast. So welcome back to Steve Dunn. Nice to be the first person to ever, you know, achieve the achieve the guest status twice. Perhaps at some point you will get a mug. Yeah. I don't know what the loyalty card is, how many you need to do. Five. (laughs) If you don't know this, Steve is my brother. And we also have an older brother Mm. who's also here to just, you know, make it a family affair for the day. And Sam, because Sam's your part of the family now. And Sam is our mother. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Yeah. Now, can I just say it's um it's just really nice um just to be asked finally. Finally, he's so. been waiting. So, <laughs> so please give a, a warm round of applause to Niall Dunn. Woohoo! <laughs> just me. This is for the fans. <laughs> Steve, can you just say give us a couple of sentences to just sort of sum up a little bit about who you are and what you do? Um, I am a comedy writer based in London, uh, work on stand-up and TV shows, um, and I also do some music, but that's a um, much smaller part of my my career these days, but I do sometimes do sort of soundtracky work, um, and currently working on a musical of my own, which um, was something we discussed last time I was on. That's a good idea to invite the competition on, you know, like keep your... <laughs> Was it your friends close but your enemies closer? What we're doing is making notes on how we can take you down. Yeah. <laughs> Looking for weaknesses. <laughs> we definitely will want to get a, a bit of an update of where you're at with that um, a little bit later in the podcast. Niall, who are you? What do you do? I worked as a musician for a long time and I was famous for about five minutes in Taiwan um, for a while. He was a Taiwanese pop star. True story. Then I trained as a teacher and worked in Cardiff, and now I work for a church in Cornwall. So I've kind of done the classic rock and roll sort of trajectory. <laughs> That's me. But all, all the way through, I, songwriting is kind of my the thing that I love to do, really. Songwriting and singing and stuff. Yeah. So we invited Niall and Steve on for a couple of reasons. Obviously, it's always nice to have people come on and hear about how other people do things creatively and, you know, get a bit of insight into other people's worlds. But there is a reason that is to get some research for our musical. But we're going to come to that a little bit later. We'll delve into that and talk about what they're going to do for us on the podcast, which I think will be fun. Behind the curtain. Niall, tell us how you feel about musicals. I think they're right. They're fine. What's the next question? (laughs) 
I think the thing I struggle with the most is just why do they always have to sing all the time? (laughs) (laughs) So basically, Niall, I thought, what musical can I present that might give some kind of topic or something that Niall might be interested in? So I've gone for Back to the Future. Ooh. What? Is there a musical of Back to the Future? Did you not know that? No, I didn't know that. And I probably would have been outraged. <laughs> well, it's in the West End currently. I've heard it's really good. Okay, so if you don't know, or uh, if you're Niall, um, <laughs> Back to the Future is a stage musical adaptation of the 1985 movie of the same name. It's based on the first movie in the trilogy. And in that movie... The teenager Marty McFly is sent back in time to 1955 through a time-travelling DeLorean, which is a car, if you don't know that. I do know that. It's my favourite film. (laughs) (laughs) Niall is just voicing the listener for the whole of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so (laughs) Marty McFly goes back in time and then he has to figure out how to get back to the present day. And obviously, as with every story, there's... There's trials and tribulations along the way. The movie and the musical were both written by Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis, and Zemeckis also directed the movie. They met in the University of Southern California's School of Cinematic Arts, and they said that they gravitated towards each other because all the other students were into kind of niche alternative. Well, I think they said like French film noir movies was what they wanted to do and basically Gail and Zemeckis were like we just want to make big like flashy Hollywood blockbusters and Zemeckis got some praise for one of his student movies and that ended up catching the attention of Steven Spielberg who then mentored him through the beginning of his career and they did then write together and they released a few films that weren't very well received and then in 1980 while Gail was visiting his childhood home, he started going through his dad's old yearbooks. And then he started wondering if I met my dad now and we were the same age, would we be friends? And he thought the only way anyone could ever confirm that is if I could time travel back in time. And then Zemeckis said that he'd always wondered because his mum told stories from her childhood and teen years that he thought were a bit contradictory. So he wondered if I could go back in time, I could find out what was actually true about those stories and like what she's embellished and stuff. It turned into an idea for a film and they started writing it pretty much immediately. But because their previous films hadn't done very well, they then had a reputation in Hollywood that they would write scripts that were great on paper but didn't translate into movies on screen. So when they pitched Back to the Future, they were rejected by every major studio. Apparently over 40 studios rejected it. The only person that was invested was Spielberg, which seems great now, but what they felt was they thought it would look like they were riding off their friendship with Spielberg and not getting anything on their own merit. So they ended up shelving the idea. And Zemeckis ended up directing the 1984 movie Romancing the Stone, which then gave him enough credibility to come back to Back to the Future and studios were interested in it in it again. But they were a little bit bitter because they felt that the studios changing their mind wasn't based on whether the film was good. It was just based on their past failures. And they ended up going back to Spielberg and actually working with him after all. And eventually the movie got made in 1985 with Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd in the lead roles. Apparently they also considered before Christopher Lloyd for the role of uh, Doc, they considered Robin Williams, John Cleese and Jeff Goldblum amongst other people, which I 
I just would love to see Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum, yeah. Jeff Goldblum doing anything is just... It's the best. Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> it's, it's great and terrible all at once. <laughs> yeah, that's the beauty of it. So anyway, they released it in 1985. It was obviously very successful. It was the highest grossing movie of the year. It spurned a trilogy. We're going to jump ahead to 2004. The writers, Gail and Zemeckis, are at a Q&A panel at a DeLorean convention. And someone asked them something about Broadway and they basically said in a kind of casual throwaway comment, they said that they thought it could potentially be a good Broadway show. Then they went away from that Q&A and were like, let's do it. So in 2012, they told everyone we're going to make a musical out of this. And they began doing workshops in 2014. They brought in Alan Silvestri, who was the original music composer for the film. And he came on board with... Glenn Ballard, who's best known for co-writing and producing the Alanis Morissette album Jagged Little Pill. And he also wrote the stage musical adaptation of the movie Ghost. Um, so they work together to bring the score and the songs to the stage. They wrote a load of new songs, but they did keep in some of the original songs uh, like The Power of Love and Johnny Be Good. So some of the like, iconic songs that are in the film are also in the musical. They wanted the show to open in 2015 because that was the 30th anniversary of the movie coming out. And it's also the year that they travel to in the future in the second movie. They brought on the director, the British director, Jamie Lloyd. He got on board. They had these big plans. They wanted basically a real big epic musical. Uh, they wanted skateboard tricks. They wanted illusions. They wanted big sets, um, a big you know, lighting design, everything to be as kind of Hollywood as possible, but on stage. But they had creative differences, differences, <laughs> creative differences. So he walked away. It was severely delayed. And then those delays caused a lot of other people to walk away from the project as well. So they ended up bringing on the director, John Rando, who had previously brought The Wedding Singer to Broadway as a musical. And then the show had a world premiere in Manchester in February 2020. The obvious place. Yeah, a really random place. <laughs> That's really random. A few weeks later, the whole world shut down because of COVID. So they ended up giving up on the Manchester run and just saying, as soon as we can, we're just going to do it full out and we'll go to the West End. So it opened in the West End in the Adelphi Theatre in September 2021. So only a few months ago. It's still going now. It's had good reviews. Uh, one of the reviews I read said, the final action sequence alone is worth the price of the admission. It's been nominated for awards already. I assume it will probably get nominated for some Olivier Awards this year. As of yet, they haven't mentioned a Broadway production, but it's only just opened here and they obviously have quite a bit of money behind it. So I wouldn't be surprised if it gets like a Broadway run at some point. But that's that's essentially... I sort of feel like I'd really want to see how on earth they do that on stage. But I also would be very worried that it, it would just ruin it for me. I would say it wouldn't hurt to try. Yeah. Time to write a musical. We are writing a musical on this podcast. The basic premise of our musical is that we have these two characters that wake up somewhere in the middle of nowhere. They don't know where they are. They don't know how they got there or what they need to do. They fight. They try and work out where they're going. They end up splitting up. And then we are introduced to a new character who is in an office called Joe. Joe is offered a promotion. They're headhunted. They're kind of living life in a bit of a bubble. They're not quite connected into the real world. While they're debating all these options, they could also, you know, it's brought up, they could go traveling with their friend and they're having these conversations, trying to make decisions. They 
unpack some past trauma that's shut down their decisions. And then we learn that these characters that woke up in the wilderness are actually the head and the heart of this main character, Joe. And they're trying to basically work together to unite with Joe and make a decision. Now, Niall and Steve, so start with Niall. If you had to say what you would primarily with, obviously no one is 100% head or heart in how you make decisions. If you had to say I lead with either my head or my heart, Niall, what would you say you primarily do? Uh, definitely heart. Mm -hmm. And Steve? Head. Yeah, so we thought, let's use this. Let's try and delve into these characters. Also, you guys are siblings. You shared a room, right? Until you were like, probably, I don't know, 19 or 20. 35. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but what that means is you had the exact same upbringing. What it shows is that that is just your natural <laughs> kind of personalities and your natural instincts. Steve, if you could just maybe explain a little bit about what influences your decision making like when you're making a decision what are you thinking about i would think about what i want the outcomes to be and weigh up the sort of what i feel like the probability i'm just trying to think of i wonder if i should use an example how let's use this example okay the main character in our musical joe they get offered a promotion they get offered they could go traveling with someone else and suddenly all there's like a whole world of opportunities open to them that they've never considered before so if you were in that situation, what would you be thinking about? What's going to happen in the short and long term from both sides? So I'd go, travelling sounds brilliant. I'll get a lot from that. Or like I'll enjoy it and I'll probably experience really great things that I can, you know, that are worth experiencing for the rest of my life, right? But also then maybe I'd be thinking... And then what? What happens after that when I come home? And probably in that situation, it'd be like, I don't know. And then with, with the job, it's like, what do I like about this job? What do I not like about this job? And based on that, based on your story, like, I don't find this job very meaningful. It pays the bills. Is it something I could walk back into? If I felt like the risk feels low to me, if I can go back into the job, because I can go, I could maybe go traveling and come back next year. If I'm like, if I'm thinking I could not get this job back, then the risk feels higher. But do I care? Because is this just another job to me? I could just come back from traveling and get another job. I, I imagine I would lean towards traveling because I'm in a job. If I, if I, if I'm in a job, I don't care about. If I'm in a job, I do care about, but I really want to go traveling. That's a much harder thing because I'm like, well, this could affect my whole career. And then I look back and go, I wish I'd kept that job rather than, you know, so I don't know. Um, but anyway, I'll be looking at it like that. Does that make sense? Just basically lining up all the kind of pros and cons and the outcomes and what's more important to me. Yeah. So maybe the, the same question to you, Niall, say you're in that situation. What's your thought process? Like your kind of initial gut, like what would you be thinking about? Probably very, very little thought process. It's just kind of, it's kind of, well, no, I mean, that's not entirely true. I mean, what I found as I got older is that a little bit more of that, like what Steve's describing there does kick in, but my definitely, my, my sort of um, like intuitively that the way I work is, does this feel right? Does this feel, and, and do I feel like I'm serving a purpose? Like, so in a job, I always, always have to feel like I'm kind of a hundred percent in it, you know, 
that I, I, I live the job kind of thing or I'm kind of really passionate about it. doesn't matter if it's hard or like, you know, really, really a struggle. I, I have to have that thread to sort of pull me through. So it would be down. It would be down to that kind of question of like, well, is this fulfilling in that way? In some ways, so like some of the same questions, like you know, is this fulfilling? It would be much more important than can I come back to this or can I do you know that kind of. I don't. I won't think ahead. I won't think about what I'll do after. I'll just go if it feels right to go do the traveling. For example, we'll see what happens. If you were to wake up in like say in this situation you you're you wake up somewhere you're kind of, you're lost and you don't have a map and you don't have a phone but the two of you are there and you have to figure out what you're doing and how you're going to do it what would your say initial thought be in that situation or what you think would you know what would you think this is how we need to figure it out and what kind of uh maybe challenges do you think that would come up between the two of you in that setting like steve would come up with the sort of um the, the plan and then i would like make friends with people <laughs> there aren't any people <laughs> along the way i think i think the head character right just based on that my in that situation you wake up in an unknown you know is I need to understand what's going on. That's like that's step one, and, and then step two will be how do we figure this out. But step one would be we need to understand our environment. And what if you can't understand your environment? Would that be frustrating? I don't really believe you could never understand your your. But I, I just don't know that. You can you can surely come to some sort of understanding through something. My thought immediately would be from the heart side. That's what kind of what I mean about the kind of like make friends thing. It's not maybe that's not that's just an example, but like get in amongst it, you know. Immerse yourself. Exactly, exactly. Um, to the point where I would I would think I'm from that place. <laughs> but, but my and, and my my worry with that approach would be, yeah, but you're going to get in amongst it and you're going to learn all this great stuff and then not know that you've learned it because you're just in there. That's possible, yeah. But that's that's why that's why it's good to have both. I'd be like, yeah, go go in there. Let's get in there and do that. Like, But let's know what we're... Let's be like... Have a system here so that when we, when we learn something yeah, yeah. in any way, we're able to store that in... Like, I do, you know, like let's... We'll write a list of... Um, we will start making a map of the land we're in. Let's do that. That's probably the first thing I'd do. Um, I'd be like, right, and let's let's get some sticks and we'll put. Let's start knowing where we are. Do you know what I mean? And we'll put this stick That's in the sand and go. Okay, now let's walk in that direction and if and see if there's a landmark of some kind. We'll put a stick and then we'll start going. Okay, so now what we've got is eight sticks in a big square making a big square, we, we've labelled them all stick one and eight. And now we have a start and point. And we'd start from there, you know what I mean? And you start building a map. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's, so I'd be like going, "What we, we know what we're trying to achieve. Or not, not trying to achieve. Yeah, just... maybe it would be frustrating, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Niall's off making friends with the, with yeah, the village folk. I don't know if I would. <laughs> 
do you, Niall? Do you think you would? Would you rely on Steve or the you know whoever that is to work out all those things, or yeah, would you probably, feel yeah, like yeah. they're trying to box you in? Like, would you feel like nah, I don't want to do it that way, or would you just rely on them to do that kind of work? I think I'd be quite aware of like, like that. Steve probably has to do that. That's how he'll he'll cope with the situation, and that's what he he kind of has to do. And you and use use his kind of you know his approach. But um, I mean, it's very hypothetical. Are you sure there's no people? <laughs> I feel like you're struggling to come up with what you might do without there being people. Well, I mean, I remember <laughs> like well, I remember when we were kids. I would have driven Steve crazy because I just always wanted to be around people and. Steve always wanted to be alone, like making little demos on his keyboard. <laughs> so like, <laughs> and I wouldn't let him do that. And I look at my own kids and there's similar dynamics, you know, and I think, oh, flipping out. Just leave him alone, you know. My, the way I kind of, I, probably the way I, I would orientate myself in most situations is um, almost like read the room. Like what's what's the what's kind of going on between people and you know how, how that kind of stuff so like i think that's where my heart thing becomes very useful is that kind of getting a sort of sense that like oh this person has a problem with this person or this but you know that kind of stuff i'm not saying steve wouldn't be able to work some of these things out either Steve can't hold a conversation <laughs> but like going <laughs> you know going in the extremes that's you know if if you were in this in a new environment and you were trying to and that was um you know that 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 would be my kind of area of perception that I'm pretty good at and that would be useful information then I guess yeah but try try and and think of what you would do when there's not people around no if <laughs> no because what you're saying is you're going oh I would just talk to people. And then and it's like, no, but the situation is there are no people. So you're like, yeah, yeah, but let's just say there's people in this situation. I talk to them. Like, you, <laughs> no, you're absolutely no, refusing to. to, to... <laughs> no, what I'm trying to explain to you is that um, as, as someone who's extreme in the heart realm, uh, you, gravi- you, want, you gravitate towards people. Yeah, okay, but you've got none. So would, so so would that be difficult for you? Then, yeah, because the only think? person would be Steve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if we're going to say that we've got one person that's completely heart and one per- person that's completely head orientated, would you say that the heart would have more of an understanding of the person who's the head than the head would of the heart, even so, even with fully head, fully heart? Now, Steve might really disagree with me here, but... Good. Yeah, that's fine. That's what we want. <laughs> I think uh, the heart person might be a little bit more perceptive of what the head person's doing, but the head person, like Steve, makes a good point of like you know when I say kind of getting getting in the in getting in the sort of the mix of it, it's like well that's fine, but you have to then come out of it to know where, what to do with that information, and that so so it's almost like the head person might know what's good for the heart person, and they don't, and the heart person doesn't know it. I don't know. I feel like. Heart people tend to be better at understanding that other that that a head person that their role is important too. Mm. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Because a heart person tends to be like, yeah, everyone everyone's got their thing. Do you know what I mean? It's quite like. Whereas a head person would typically be a bit more rigid. 
and be like, well, you should be doing it this way, really. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's kind of, it's interesting because, Niall, earlier you said you'd be okay with Steve, say, you know, just putting sticks and making a map. But the reason you said that was not because he's doing the right thing, but it's because you said, because that's what he needs to do. So you're, so it was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he needs to do that for himself. So, so absolutely go ahead and do it. But um, but like and... if you're extreme heart, you're 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 not thinking of it as like I need any of that. It's just yeah. Oh, he need, he needs to do that. But actually, what he's doing, you do need it. Yeah. Mm. Would you feel then <laughs> with the heart? Do you feel like maybe emotions can also cloud their judgment? Yeah. 100%. So they could be really hung up on something, hyper fixated on something, and then not understand what the head person is doing or why they're doing it yeah. because they're just so clouded. Yeah, definitely. There's loads of times where I've got fixated on a kind of an emotional response to something and then it's been hard to like clock out of that to see the bigger picture and see actually, you know, I mean, I, I'm someone who doesn't particularly like confrontation. Yeah, you just want people yeah. to be happy. Would you, so, you know, if you are, you're kind of, say fixated on something like you were just saying and you and maybe sometimes might not see the bigger picture because you're kind of in that moment would you find it stressful or or frustrating for someone to come in and try and tell you that's what you're doing you know to try and say you know you just need to think about the bigger like you need to come out of that moment or to come in from the opposite angle how would would that feel like an attack on you well, I don't know if it's a hard thing or if I've got better at doing it over the years, but I I ask a lot for advice. I ask what, you know, what do I need to be doing? So, when it's like really invited, I don't have a problem with it at all. But if it's but yeah, but if it's more of a kind of confrontation kind of comes out of the blue, that's uh, that's harder, yeah. I mean, I do I I find that like people always think I'm attacking them when I'm not. That that is a really common. Really? Yeah. Because a, a really good example of when that happens is, say someone says to me, like, um, any kind of opinion, like, uh, I think this film should win the Oscar, right? I'll go, um, why? And you, you see people get defensive because they think I'm saying that's a stupid opinion or... You're wrong. Like, yeah, like you're accusing them of... Yeah, and, and, and I, I'm always, always actually asking the question, why? That is actually what I meant. But, and, and it's... In, what would... So what is your intention behind asking why? To find out why they think what, that. Like, what would your... Just because you're interested? Well, I just think that... Personally, I'm not that interested in what people think as opposed to why they think it. Because that's more meaningful. Uh, you know, that's like, if someone says to me, I, I vote Labour, or I vote some, whatever, if, if I say why, that's going to tell me so much more. But, even, but that's a really good, I mean, in politics, like, you know, people say some kind of political opinion, and you say, oh, why? People get really, like, Depends on. I mean, if they don't want to answer, that's absolutely fine. But it's interesting how much they read what I'm saying as 
as if I'm saying they're wrong. I'm, I'm gen- often as like, a judgment. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I just want to know what, like, I don't know. <laughs> Do you think it's important when someone states their opinion that they should have the answer to what, you know, like that they should know all the reasons why they have that opinion? Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, I think I wouldn't, I, not that I would be um, bothered if someone went, I actually don't know why I think that. But I think really, if you don't know why you think it, then you probably shouldn't go around saying it. <laughs> but but can you hear that right now? Some of you are currently thinking, that does feel attacking. Being offended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm actually feeling very attacked I'm fascinated. Right now, so. <laughs> I actually really remember a specific conversation, Steve, was sat in your lounge when, I think it was just before Donald Trump was elected as president. And I remember us having a conversation where I said something negative about Donald Trump and you said, why do you believe that? And I we had that exact thing because I remember thinking, but everyone else says they don't like Donald Trump. And when I say it, you suddenly disagree with, I remember a whole thing <laughs> in my head where I was like, Steve suddenly is a big fan of Donald Trump. <laughs> and and I did, but the, but the truth is I didn't have an answer. <laughs> like I couldn't give you a factual thing that I'd done research on. It was just like, I had sort of read some things probably and thought, yeah. But I, it's, it's just funny because I, re- I remember that exact thing playing out. And you trying to explain to me also, that yeah, you weren't accusing also, me of anything. Like, like, <laughs> just, you know, on that example, whatever it was, I guarantee I do not agree with what ever Donald Trump had done. <laughs> I do, you know, I can't think of a single it's thing I've ever... It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> You've questioned it, therefore you must agree with the opposite yeah. like, yeah, side that's of it. And you must be a Trump supporter yeah. because you've questioned yeah. it. That's the, the, the instant thing that our brains go to. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Whereas I kind of like, yeah. like, you know, so obviously Steve, um, you know, he's got his his sort of Trumpist, <laughs> like Christian, American Christian right sort of views, um, and uh, like if I was talking to somebody and I had different views to them, I think I think I'd want to take take the position of kind of like, okay, where are you coming from? Kind of like. I'm interested. I'm, I'm interested to just hear what what you think or where you come, where you're, uh, what you've got to say. Almost like making them feel like you're on their side, even if you're not. Yeah, probably, and and probably like that 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 um that can be really helpful sometimes, but it can also be really na- bad because it's like <clears throat> people pleasing. It's like, oh, well, Niall agrees with me. Yeah. <laughs> And, yeah, and, and I don't necessarily. But... Niall likes Trump too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like when, so when Steve, <laughs> when Steve was like banging on about how great Trump was like a few years ago, I, <laughs> I think I think I made Steve feel like I agreed with him when actually I wasn't so sure. Is there things about? It could be things about each other or people that might have the kind of opposite approach, you know, in their mindset. Things that you kind of look at and go. That's actually, I wish I could do that or try, you know, try to go that way. Yes. I, I get this at work all the time. Um, a lot of people I work with, I think performers, maybe it's common for them to be quite heart led. 
quite feel their way through things. Um, so often like their ideas are, I am like, I wouldn't have thought of that because, because I would have thought about it more. Do you see what I mean? Like I remember, so uh, I remember Joel Domit, who's a comedian I work with a lot. He, he had an idea where he was like, I want to have a cushion on stage where I, you know, like when rappers do a mic drop, I want to do that, but I don't want to break the mic. So I drop it on a cushion and stuff. And we chatted about that for, for I mean, months really, but um, about that routine. And it became a really, really nice routine. And I, I know that I brought a lot of structure and I made sense of that idea and brought a lot of that. But I remember being like, I wouldn't have started with that idea. And it was really nice. It was just like an unusual, silly idea that Joel, obviously, he just had an idea of like, this will feel fun. Do you know what I mean? It was quite like an intuitive thought. I, I'm like, I wouldn't have thought of that because I would have gone a little bit more. I would have started with the structure. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? And sometimes what you need is a mad, just intuitive thing because that person, the person who's able to think that way, goes goes somewhere that I, do, I wouldn't naturally go because I've got my thought processes in order. And do you know what I mean? So I guess I kind of envy people like that for, for, for being it for, I feel like they cover different ground to what I would cover. Yeah. That's how I feel about Harriet. That's how I feel about Harriet. Yeah, yeah. we're lucky we've got Harriet to be fair because yeah. we wouldn't think about half she says the stuff some, that she I does. mean, yeah, and some of the things she says are wild. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but I'm like, a lot of it I'm like, I just wouldn't, if I were to do this, like if if we were to do this by ourselves, like if it was just me and you, I, I feel like we wouldn't have those, those ideas wouldn't be in there, would they? So we would miss things because... I think if, me, if just, me and you did this by ourselves, <laughs> if me and you did this by ourselves, um, it would just be the most depressing thing in the world. <laughs> we would just be hard on the emotion. We'd be like, why is me? What is happening? And we wouldn't have any of the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Balance. Um, Niall, how about you? When I did um, teaching, structure became absolutely essential in order to survive you have to start with kind of outcome first thinking which is really hard for me to get used to when you have to do stuff that is not natural to you it's quite painful in some ways but kind of i think in some ways it's painful in the way that like if you're not fit and then you start getting fit there's a pain barrier that you go through i i, I kind of wonder if with some of this is is Yes, you have your natural instincts, and yes, my natural instinct is always the kind of heart level. But um, I just know from past experience, nothing gets done unless I take on some of those attributes. Yeah, I think I think that is definitely one one definite benefit of the kind of more head led approach is productivity, because that I think that is just if you go with intuition, it just comes and goes, doesn't it? And and that's why, like, so you're well suited, Steve, to to being self-employed. And my my wife's the same. She's a photographer, and she is just totally self-motivated to do stuff. Mm. So and so she runs her own business, and she just like, I I wouldn't, that wouldn't work for me. 
I'm you. I'm crap at photography as well. So like, <laughs> there's lots of reasons. There's lots of reasons. No one will buy my packages. No one. I literally. Yeah. They're all blurry. Just it's like yeah. Um, here, here's the album from your special day, and there's just fingers in the corner of. of... <laughs> you just got a disposable camera and just <laughs> just like iPhone fix. Yeah. <laughs> Just before like we move on, last time you came on, Steve, just like a really quick recap, but last time you came on, you were talking about the musical that you are writing and that you'd kind of had a couple of workshops and things. What, Where is your update with where that is at the moment? Not much further, really. Um, there's, there's not really much more to update. I've just been working on it. I'm trying to get up a new draft. And I would like this year to, you know, to just to keep taking it further. But... Um, uh, yeah, there's nothing. There's, not, there's nothing significant uh, that has developed. Cool. Well, we'll we'll definitely be um, following it anyway. Come and join Sam's social network. She's here for you. Okay, so we have a message from Alex. Hi, Alex. Alex says, "Hi. If this gets read out, I will love it." Alex says, I think for first-time writers, you're doing amazingly. And I think it's very brave that you are publishing the whole process for us all to listen to, which is very nice of Alex to say. Thank you, Alex. They go on to say, I would like to know how you deal with self-doubt when it comes to your work and yourselves. And I think this is actually quite apt for what we're talking about today as well and how people deal with it differently. Self-doubt for me consumes me. I don't know about anyone else. So it takes a lot for me to get out of that. And I rely a lot on, a lot on reassurance yeah. from other people, which I'm not proud of, but hey-ho. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I've never quite been able to master that, I don't think. Um, I think when you, as you get older, you master it to different levels, don't you? You kind of, mm. I think sometimes I got myself to a place where I can at least acknowledge what's, at least kind of try to acknowledge what is likely to just be in my head you know sometimes you kind of um sometimes you convince yourself of of things like you for I find like auditions for example this won't be like relatable to everyone here but I find with auditions you might in the middle of it or interviews is the same kind of thing where in the middle of it, you think this is great. And then you walk away and like an hour later, you've sat down and you've thought about all the things you did wrong and you suddenly can't remember anything that you did right. You know, and you, you start going, you, you then have this memory of the situation that's just completely not true, but you really have re it's like, you've seen the whole, like you've watched it back through a filter. And you've seen a completely different version. That's what happens to me. Um, and I've had to like train myself to kind of go to like stop and be like, hold on a minute. Remember when you were in the moment, you didn't feel this way. So it probably isn't this dramatic. <laughs> mm. You know, like you, you go, actually, they looked at me at that moment and I, they hated me. And, and actually then I said this and they thought I was the worst person that had ever, you know, it turns into something that's really stupid. And, and I, but I have learned to a certain extent to at least be able to go, 
that's probably not true. Even if it's now what is my memory is saying, I can kind of reel it in a little bit. Um, and, and try and like, sometimes I'll just sit down and go, okay, well, what was good about that? <laughs> you know, what, what am I good at? And try and forget the other stuff and try and like retrain your like thought process. I don't know. Do you guys have, mm. have tips? I, I think again, um, being a few years older, um, I, cause I definitely, oh man. Yeah. Self-doubt has always been a, a big, big thing that I've struggled with, but, um, and still do, but I think, um, a, I think as you get older, you get, I found I get less worried about it or a bit more confident. And, but, but also I think, um, like say an interview type thing, um, I kind of see it in slightly different terms these days. Like I kind of, I'm a little bit more like kind of, well, if I'm not the right person for you, then I'm not the right person, you know, I'm not, I'm not the right fit and not see that necessarily as a negative thing. And more like kind of, uh, you know, I kind of view these things as like pushing a door to see if it's open. And oh, okay, it's not open, you know. Um, so, so kind of uh, move on a little bit quicker. And or you know, it does. You know, you always want to do well at whatever you do, don't you? So it's kind of it is. It's always not not particularly a nice experience if if you're not successful in whatever certain you know thing you're doing. But. Um, but I suppose I just see like through life, the things that have felt like successes or not successes, you know, kind of failures, actually they've all been helpful. Like they've all been things that have kind of informed me and maybe helped shape me in different ways and, and kind of, yeah. So I suppose it's that really. Uh, yeah. I think that like one of the, one big thing with self doubt is, is it, it does, it does make it feel less, important when you realize that every, literally everyone feels like that and so i think it's just quite good to talk isn't it with people in your field or whatever it is mm. to just be like kind of laugh about it and stuff and do you know what i mean it becomes it feels like it helps it just go like oh this is just an annoying thing that everyone experiences um and i, I also sometimes just kind of go Sometimes it depends on the situation, probably. But for me, I, f I sometimes find a helpful thing with self doubt is to indulge that that doubt and go, okay. So if if your brain is telling you you're 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 terrible, you're a fraud, you're not good at this, then it's like, okay, well, let's assume that's true. So what should I do next? Because like quitting isn't the right thing because it's like, well, you, how does that help? <laughs> um, and so I find that like, I tend to just go, if I feel that way, then, you know, for me, like if I'm working on a TV show and I've got to write a bunch of jokes and I start being like, Oh, all my ideas are terrible. And they're going to be like, why did we hire this guy? Then I just go like, well, if I write, like twice as many as everyone else. Some of them will be good enough. Do you see what I mean? Excellent. Thanks, Alex, for that question. It's a good Thank question. You, I like hearing other people talk about it because 
it does like it does it's always nice hearing other people talk about having self-doubt because it does make it feel less of a big deal doesn't it because you're like everyone has it we're okay makes you feel more normal <laughs> if you would like to get in touch you can email us podcast at dirtylaughs.co.uk or you can like and follow us on instagram at dirty laughs podcast the same for tiktok harriet's head scratcher Scratch your head now. Harry is not here, so we're having a guest host. We're having a Steve's head scratcher. Okay, Steve's head scratcher. Can you imagine nothing? <laughs> Suddenly <laughs> having is... an existential crisis here. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. can you imagine? I feel like all my insides are twitching. Like... <laughs> <laughs> just after where he said nothing, that's where you want to just like cut the podcast. <laughs> Just... I guess no, 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 because what I'm when I if I try and imagine nothing, I'm picturing like the word nothing, space or a dark, a dark empty black. space. Yeah, and it's still something. Yeah. No, I don't think the answer is no. I yeah, I don't even know if it's a concept that makes sense. Is it possible to not be imagining anything, like to at any time not be picturing something in your mind? Now I'm trying not to picture anything in my mind. Try not to think. Because <laughs> the closest would be like if you're in conversation, but you're st- you're picturing, you're almost picturing the person that you're talking to, maybe. I don't know. Or thinking about a response. It's not possible. I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's possible. No. I don't think it's possible. Are we all in agreement? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't one, one, a head scratcher then, was it? No, not so, no. No. But it's made me feel weird. Like, yeah, it's made me feel very weird. <laughs> yeah, if, me too. Do you know what I was thinking, Niall, is Steve did Harriet's one. Should have let Niall pick a musical and tell us the journey of it. Oh my God. <laughs> you would have given up on researching it within one second. <laughs> <laughs> they came up with the idea, they made it, and um, yeah, that was it. Well, thank you. Thanks, Steve, for doing the head scratcher. And thanks, both of you, for coming on. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. It's been very interesting, I think, to like kind of get into the minds and even just think about, you know, lyrics and conversations that might and motivations. So that's been really helpful. And thank you to everyone for listening. And thanks, Harriet, for um, not being here. No. Yeah, thanks a lot, Harriet. <laughs> Oh, we miss you, Harriet. Yeah. <laughs> Just to let you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have a lovely week, all you listeners out there. Mean Girls with Murder is a great name for a musical. <laughs>